This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio with uh, Assembly Chair now, Chris Constant. How you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. I haven't have you in, in the podcast for a while. I'm trying to think. Last time you were on, it was a it was a while ago. Long time ago. It was I think last time you were. I should have looked it up, but it was probably a year or two ago. All right. So you there was an election in April, and I want to talk about that a little bit. There was seven seats up because now there's twelve. Yep. There used to be eleven. They added, uh, I guess, a year, two years ago. One year ago, June. So, oh, it's only a year. Okay, so they added the the twelfth seat. Kind of the downtown used to be its own. That was you, yep. its own, and it was supposed to revolve the single member seat, but it really never did, did it? It was never going to revolve. But that was like the idea initially. It was, and it started in downtown. It briefly went to Eagle River, and then quickly came back to downtown, and it was like that for forty years. So they added the seat. Daniel Voland won that. Yes. Which made it 12, which I, I think is a weird number. I think it should be, like, odd. doesn't matter. Because, you know, Why? if it's 6-6, six, six, right, then it fails. Same thing in the legislature. Right. But that's two bodies. It's all even numbers, though. You, you are right. But, you know, a lot of, like, it's funny you say that, because but lo- local jurisdictions usually have 7 or 9 or 11 or... Yeah, but the procedure is that a majority vote is required for a motion to pass. And so that's seven votes, period, full stop. And, in fact, I think we've done something good by adding 12 because the the supermajority number required to conduct business if a mayor is not in agreement is two-thirds of the body. Two-thirds of 11 is... Eight. Well, it, it was eight when it was eleven. It was eight, right? And when it's twelve, it's still eight. Because which which means you can, you, which means either side, and you know, it's very progressive dominated. But you could, I guess, lose a seat. Either side who's in the majority could lose a seat and still have the eight. Right. And so, my, the reason I raise that is because historically we have over empowered the mayor by a marginal percentage, but now it's actually as intended. You don't have a fraction of a person, and so you always had to over-empower the administration, the executive branch, when you had less than 12. So 12 is perfect, in my opinion. So before it was um, every you know two years, there's an assembly race, and then the third year, there's a mayor's race. So it was six and five, but now it's six and six exactly. uh, elections. But yep. this year, it was seven because, because of Allard left. Well, she was up anyways, but yep. Dunbar left. They both went to the legislature. Exactly. And then of those seven, uh, only you, you and Felix... <clears throat> were the only incumbents that were running. Right. So there was at least five new seats, and then you, you and Felix both won. So now there's five of 12. So basically, you know, nearly half the assembly is brand new. Right, but if you really look at the numbers, it's a, little, closer to the mic, partner. it's a little more bleak than that, if you will, or challenging or interesting, because we have actually eight members who've been on the body less than 14 months. So it's like Kevin Cross, uh, Daniel... 
The new ones. Who's the other Randy one? Randy Salt. Randy Salt, yeah. And so you have eight out of 12 who have less than a year and a half of experience. And then you have Felix and I, who somehow became the old guys. We have six years of experience. Meg has five years and also Cameron. And so we have four members who have more than one term of experience, which is highly unusual. So two-thirds of the body is brand spanking new. What do you think about all these new people? We'll talk about some of them. Um, but, you know, for since Bronson won and then there was a mask mandate, there was a COVID, there was all these things, of shutdowns before that with Berkowitz, uh, it got pretty toxic. It got, you know, a lot of people who have hard feelings about the mayor, whether it's Berkowitz or Bronson or the assembly. And then, you know, that was kind of that group of people. But now most of them are gone. There's a few left, like you said. <clears throat> have things changed with, like, the dynamic? Obviously, they've changed, but it's all these new people that didn't experience any of that on yes. the assembly. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know that they're the reason the dynamic has changed. I would argue the dynamic changed last year, probably even before the election. Things just started to heal. I don't know how to describe it any better than that. The mayhem that characterized our meetings, the people, they burnt out. They messaged, they, they made their message, they said it 100 times, and then they just decided... They've got something else to do with their life. We don't We don't see nearly as many of going back to the mask mandate deal a couple of years ago, but even after there was, call them the Save Anchorage group or that kind of group of 50 to 100 you know, people right. that would show up. And you kind of got to know most of them. They were the same people. there's one left. And so that's all that remains, one to three at any given meeting, depending on the night. And so that was separate from this new wave of members on the assembly. Now, with the new wave of members, it's a very interesting conversation that happens sometimes because we hear from some of the members that they are the inheritors of all of the bad stuff from the past, and they try to disclaim that they have anything to do with the issues going forward because they weren't part of the past and that maybe they know better and that's an always interesting conversation to be having because you may have a fresh perspective, but you don't necessarily have the full picture, mm-hmm. right? And so it's hard to navigate that stuff. But that's actually the more fun and interesting part of the job is realizing who each individual actually is once they're elected, not while they're campaigning, and seeing how they're going to govern. Well, on a, on a much smaller level, um, I bought my condo about like 10 years ago, a little more. And then not long after I ended up getting on the board, three member board, and I was all gung ho and we're going to lower dues and I'm going to come on, you know, and, and I've been on the, I'm president now and I'm, and I'm thinking back then, you know, I didn't know anything and, and now I know pretty much everything and it's good to have new people. Obviously you don't want to have the same people forever on something, but you really have to spend some time. Legislature, I, I view that I've observed this very um, inside this year with, you know, almost basically half of the house is new. Right. And you have people who had never even been to Juno. And they think they're going to go fucking gung-ho and, and they they're going to change the world and they're going to, you know, <laughs> and you just have to, I don't care what it is, you know, if it's a condo board or a legislative body or a business or whatever, you have to spend some time and, you know, sometimes it's good to bring in fresh blood to it's, have new ideas, but you, have, you also have to understand how the thing works and just basic tenets of an organization. Right. And the principles that make it work. And, you know, I continue to hold the belief, and I think the record demonstrates that 90 plus, 95 plus percent of the work that we do is unanimous. You know, when you listen to the conservative members of the assembly, they're voting with the majority, a vast majority of the time. Well, so much of it, and I mean, I think these listeners probably paying attention more than the average person, but the average person doesn't go to the meetings and watch it and you know, it's alcohol licenses, marijuana license, zoning. It's a business. I mean, it's a contract. You know, it's like, it's just kind of, and that's how it 
Frankly, that's how it should be. I mean, I think somebody was that you saying make it boring again. That's my goal because it should be boring. We've been successful, I think, for the most part this year. But right, but the point there is that even though the people don't see it, the public only sees what the media covers. The media only covers the things that we divide on. Yeah. Right, and so that's the perception that gets across. Yeah, there's, not, there's not a lot of you know, you know, in, in in X meeting, you know, fifteen unanimous votes on. Contract zoning and marijuana license scores of unanimous votes and only 10 that were not, or even of those 10, several were after discussions. And so that is actually the true nature of our body that we do most of our work unanimously. And we're strong at that. And we're collegial, which is nice because we had so long where the body was not collegial and that was i think personality based and the personality is in juno now and so we don't have to worry about it oh um, i'm guessing you're talking about miss allard i'm not gonna say any names you probably saw you read the landmine i'm sure you saw there were some incidents this uh, last session involving her that uh, i was not i was not surprised at all right and so but for us on the assembly 12 members now there's rapport again. There is open door mm-hmm. communication. The funny thing with her is, I mean, she would obviously target you a lot and Suzanne and the kind of progressives, but sometimes she would turn on her own people. Right. So the it mayor. was kind of I mean, the mayor. I've seen, you know, there was that, there was that, what was it? The big, she didn't say that, but essentially she, she uh, inferred a big dick contest between him and somebody. And we were all <laughs> Amy, watching, of course, Amy, we were all watching. We know like, whose what, dick is bigger. We were like, what the fuck is she saying? You know, <laughs> can't even make this shit up. Right. We know whose BDE is bigger. I like that. There's a song about that, you know. You know, I went to a conference in in New York City with Daniel, and um, Poland. Yeah, it was a um, it was an urbanist conference, World City, and I just happened to snag a couple tickets to Lizzo or three because we had someone else traveling with us. Did you play the flute? She did play. She's the flute. really good. It was that, that's her like original deal. Yeah, we were like eight feet back. I could smell Lizzo. It was amazing. Flowers, and um. Lata opened for her, which is that BDE. Oh, the BDE song? Oh, my God. I was blushing so hard. I not <laughs> believe it. Because that song is like the most um, child-friendly song she plays. Well, there's a new, I don't know if you listen to Ben Shapiro, but he just, there's some new song called Pound Town. <laughs> by, I don't even know, Sexy with two Ys, yeah. but then Nicki Minaj got involved in a, there's Pound Town 2, the remix. And oh, my God. So Ben Shapiro like read the lyrics. Oh, my. It's the funniest. He did that a couple of years ago with the WAP. Yep, a WAP. Exactly. And it went like, vi- you know, like 10 million. I don't know how we got here, but, uh, you know. It's how we, you know, it's very, very free flowing. It's not my usual music, but it was amazing to see in real time. Okay, so the assembly is different now. Um, let's talk about some of those, like, you know. Basically, everybody, the progressive swept. The only, um, Scott Meyer is, we knew he was going to, you know, Eagle River is more conservative, but uh, Karen Branga, George Martinez, um, I'm trying to think here else. We got you one, Felix one, Anna and Brawley. then Anna Brawley from West Anchorage. Zach Johnson. And that was one that we thought, you know, Anchorage, South Anchorage, typically more conservative, but, but you know, um, was it Re- Rachel Rees? She she didn't really do. Well, I, I want to dispel. But there was another guy in there too that. Dispel this myth though, that the assembly is liberal, progressive, whatever. We have always been a diverse group of people, you know, from Weddleton to me to Felix, there is a huge range of opinions and values in that space. And so it's super easy for the community to boil down left versus right. But the assembly has never been that. It is always more. But I mean, like 10, 15, 10, 12 plus years ago when Sullivan was mayor, I mean, there, there was a pretty, it was a more, more conservative assembly. No, absolutely right. And so I'm not dispelling that, that we have a decision-making process that lends itself towards 
a moderate to, to progressive policy, but there is as much moderate as there is progressive on the assembly. It's not left, right, lockstep. That is just not how it works on that body. And I'll, I will say that at every turn. And some of these new folks, uh, Anna, for example, and um, George had been involved in some, you know, George ran for mayor. Uh, he'd Community councils administration served with you know Anna Brawley had uh, done she's an urban planner she'd done some stuff with alcohol rewrite and, and Juno um, K- Karen teacher yeah teacher but but th- maybe they the other ones weren't and Zach and Karen Trooper. but 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 not as maybe involved in the local right level as much as uh, maybe, absolutely not uh, George and, and uh, Anna that's right but but but, but, but I'll bring something and in, in, you know in different. It's fascinating, and I really appreciate working with everybody that I work with right now because people are all bringing important perspectives and not just throwing bombs. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about, the housing issue and then the homelessness, which are a little bit related, but let's start with the housing. It's it's just, you know, I don't know what the what's going on, but but there's not nearly enough housing. I don't know, there's 100 or some houses for sale. You do real estate too. Um, the Valley's boom. They're building, you know. They're yeah. building a lot. We're not building. There's been some talk about, Rewriting the zoning um, code. What, we're definitely in the middle of that process, discussions and maintenance. What's going on? I know there's an NIMBY element, but we're losing people in this state. We're losing people in Anchorage. People can't, if, even if we had a reason for people to come here, let's say there's some boom happened, you know, where are they going to live? It's usable land. That's one of the key problems is there isn't the easy land. The easy land has all been built on in Anchorage. And so they're all, the builders are going towards the easy land in the valley. And that'll be filled up too. Because swamps are everywhere in Alaska, and hilly land and mountain land is not so easy or cheap to build on. And so when the easy land is developed, then the Matsu will find itself exactly where we are now. And um, hopefully we can solve some of those problems. The challenge of permitting and regulation is part of it, but I don't think it's the biggest thing that everyone makes it out to be. And I also hear a lot of complaints about short-term rentals that it's such a big problem. It's taking away all of our rental units and in Anchorage, it's 2000 units out of some tens of thousands of rental units. It's still, I mean, it's a lot. The, it the is. Number. I mean, I, I know in Hawaii and other places, they've really kind of uh, cramped down on that. And they said, you know, it's gotta be a minimum of a month or whatever they've, because, because lo- what happens is local people, especially in a place like Hawaii, right. they can't live. Right, for, you know, and, and you're affordably in Hawaii, it's not changing the the game. Even when they're doing that, it's not changing the game, and so it's an interesting conundrum. And I'm supportive of some regulation of the short term rentals as we come in the conversation. I mean, I'm a, I'm a market, I'm a really a market guy, but at some point, you have to look at um, just the reality too. Right. You know, I, I hate government intervention in these kind of things, but it's it's like if you make fifteen, twenty, even twenty five dollars an hour, it's hard to live in Anchorage. It is. You know, to get to get a place and to pay rent and. Yep you know, the cost of, you know, groceries and all these things, and plus, plus everything's been going up the last couple of years, it's it's really hard to affordably, you know, at a, at a working wage, li- live here by your, you know, with the, a family. And that doesn't, that, that problem isn't solved in the Matsu, right? That's no, it's the same problem in the Valley. But the housing is... There is housing m- to buy. Much less, it's, it's much less expensive there than here. You get more land, but the houses are about the same price. I mean, the market has equalized out there. You just get more land. Because there's more land available, it's cheaper. What about, and this is something I've advocated for a long time, and it doesn't, I wish it would be more of the conversation, but what about this fucking bridge? Yeah. To I'm me, not... that bridge would solve a lot, that, that would open up swaths of land for housing development and even access, you know, out of Anchorage. 
Yeah, I'm not a fan. You're not a bridge guy? I'm not a bridge guy. We got to get you on the Kabata Bridge. We got to get Oh, it's because I'm, Government Hill, that's I'm why. That's it's because of your house. Of the bridge. Or your area. The whole area, my house, but when I was living in Fairview, I also didn't agree with it. And it's just a mega project that isn't going to solve the problem. Here's what's going to happen if we build that bridge. It will be a beautiful bridge, the quality of which could be um found in Scandinavia, you know, where they live well, they have all of that wealth and their their structures are beautiful and big. But then leading up to that beautiful megalithic structure, what you will have is roads, the quality of um, rural Mexico, potholes, deterioration, because we'll spend every dime we have in this region on maintenance of that bridge alone. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think, I think we can get, I think there's so much federal infrastructure money out there. I mean, it was paid for 10 there was money for it, you know, 10 years ago or plus. And it was never paid for. There was never a billion dollars in the bank to build that bridge. There was money. There was with between the fed, feds and the state. There, there was the, the you know, there, there was, was authority. Startup that startup money. There was never money to build the bridge. There was startup money. And there's still money in that account. And we gave $2 billion last year for dividends. I mean, that could have built the freaking bridge. Yeah. Well, there's a whole other conversation, the dividend. I, I just think you got the housing issue. But also, we've seen this with the earthquake and some people hitting these, these you know, overpasses. There's one way out of Anchorage, one way. I mean, that to me is a big reason. But then you have the, you know, the whole part of kind of west of Big Lake and, you know, Point McKenzie. Think about all the, I mean, you could build, you could have a housing boom and then people get to work, get to Anchorage in 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. And $40 per day of tariffs to get a No toll. Uh, no, I'm not a toll. No, no. Then, I, the government's got to build it. Because we need it, not not to not, not to do a toll. The problem is going to be how do you maintain it? It's going to suck every dollar out of every road project for the region forever. There's bridges all over the place. I mean, there's big roads and but bridges, and we maintain a, them. But those states tend to have actual people to support their infrastructure. We don't have that. Every, we live in a colony in the end. You know, we still live in a colony. I'm going to sell you on the bridge at some point. I'm going to, I'm going to start a group. I'm going to start a Friends of the Connect Iron Bridge and... <laughs> Because, you know, that that was a big, you remember 10, 15 years, that was a big conversation. That was yeah, for, on for the local level, years. the state level, you know, the legislature, that was a big, uh, and then uh, it kind of just went away. If we're going to invest a billion dollars in road infrastructure, we should fix the highways in town and across the region. What about this, uh, this has been talked about a little bit, the highway to highway. Right, the Glen to Seward Highway. Yeah, the new connection. one is supposed to be from the from the Seward, and you get to the Glen kind of without having to stop in Anchorage, yeah, right? Yeah, that's long been the dream. There this has been a very big frustration for me. You know, in 2012 and 13, I went to the legislature as a citizen, a resident, and advocated for and received in the capital budget money to plan a um, kind of an alternative to the highway-to-highway highway plan, which was a smaller-scale version. And we used the money to test the traffic models for the highway right through the neighborhood. And there is nowhere in America, I don't believe, for sure not in Alaska, where you have a federal highway that directly abuts residential neighborhoods, properties, directly abuts. I'm talking from a house, you can step 15 feet to a federal highway, and standing on the sidewalk of that highway, you put your elbow at your hip and turn it right, and you could lose your hand. The cars are so close at 55 miles an hour running by you. Like a like 36, Tudor kind of. That's ga fire. It's Gamble and Ingra. Mm -hmm. That's where where the highway to highway connection is. That road, it's a disaster waiting to happen. It's, a, it's the most dangerous road in Alaska. And there's nowhere else where you have those kind of impacts. Now, I, in 2013, funded a project through the legislature. We got it. $300,000 to study the traffic. We proved using the state's model that we could turn down to three lanes and not lose any level of service. Does, doesn't one of the plans I read kind of go back 
it goes around more, more towards the mountain. Yeah, well, but, there's like a Tudor Road proposal that yeah. was in the last one. There's a proposal that somehow manages to go under the old landfill at Merrill Field, which is highly unlikely. Underground? Mm-hmm. I love that. And then the cut and cover, which is through the Fairview. I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm from New Mexico originally. I've been here almost 20 years, but I go back. I just went back for my reunion. My parents still live there. And, you know, where I grew up, and, and like, it's a little bit outside of, El- it's like 20 minutes outside of Albuquerque. It's, it's called Rio Rancho. But, you know, you drive to Albuquerque. That's where a lot of things are. And, you know, growing up, there's this main road. It's called Paseo del Norte. And you used to go up there, and then, you'd, you know, you'd go to the I-25, the highway, and you'd get off and ramp. And every time I go back for the last, you know, many years, it's like they've they've improved it. There's no more stoplight. You, there's, a, there's a ramp. You know, everything's been so improved and changed for the better, and everything's so easier. And these are, you know, big roads. And, and I think here, I mean, things are – I mean, there's been some small improvements on, you know, the, the highway. They've expanded it and some things, but you know, maybe the roundabout. But nothing's really, like – no radical Wait. changes have happened here in the last, you know, 20 years. Here's the part that just kills me. So I've been working on this project 2013. The highway to highway was 2005. It was deprogrammed because of political resistance. Governor Pannell wasn't going to do it because people were too squawking too hard. So who was like people in the neighborhood community or? members, not just the neighbors, but all over. And so um, you have a project that's been around that could transform and heal a neighborhood that's historically been uh, abused. And in fact, we got a grant. Fairview got a grant working with NeighborWorks from the federal government called Reconnecting Communities. That's the first time ever in Alaska we've had a grant like this that recognizes the racist history of the highway, meaning it was put where it was because that's where those people live and we don't want those people near us. And that was true proven history. I'm not making that up. So the grant is intended to help reconnect the community that was separated by that highway. So there's a federal recognition of this issue, also recognized by our congressional delegation and the governor's office, local government mayor. And so the plan has long been to figure out a reconnecting solution to undo those problems. But here's what we've done. We have built the Dowling traffic circle. Which I live there. And you know it's better, but man, but that wait. was a fucking year wait. of not having, not being able to use that damn road. Wait, we built it, and then we did a major reconstruction project at Diamond, and we did the scooter off ramp, mm-hmm. and we've done the O'Malley exit, and we've done the Huffman exit, and now they're talking about a diverging diamond at Huffman and a diverging diamond at Diamond, and then they redid. Do they, wait, they, they, wait. they added a new fucking ramp off the highway, that scooter, scooter thing. And then they have the 76. You can go straight across the, yeah, under right. the highway. And now they redid the diamond traffic, the Dowling traffic circle a second time. They've spent a billion dollars or plan to spend a billion dollars on road projects that add another lane and might save less than a minute off of anybody's traffic commute in any given day. One minute for a billion dollars. When they have ignored the problem, which is the real problem, which is the bottleneck of traffic, all the stoplights, and every on-ramp and off-ramp, which is every street from 16th Avenue well, and, to and, 5th and Avenue. We, we were talking about before about the history of the neighborhood. I mean, that, that's that's true, and that, should, and that should be, you know, not forgotten. But also, um, just getting out of town, getting out of... I mean, I was I was looking at... Me, me and a buddy are looking at some property in the near, near the Big Lake, and we would, you know, you go out of town on any weekend, and it's like you get stuck there on... The Glen and, and by the hot, you know, by um, Merrill, right? For 15, 20, I mean, for a long time, it just backed up. I mean, if that Absolutely. was that should be a consideration for you know, that's just the plan. Let's anybody fix, who's leaving Anchorage on you know, at all, let's fix these problems. But what I'm saying is, DOT has taken on the easy intersections, making life easier for people who live on Hillside, not just once, not just twice, 
sometimes three and four times, even the same intersections over and over again, instead of tackling the hard problem, which is what to do with the traffic through Fairview, which was put there for a reason and which causes us all headaches. Now, there are some folks in the kind of urbanist movement who believe you shouldn't even invest in any of that highway. We should de de construct the highways and make them all neighborhood roads. Well, these are the kind of lunatic people. Yeah, I'm, I'm not there wild ideas, with yeah. them, but they're loud in my district, believe me. And so, but for me, the, the there are two values. One is the access and egress from the city, and the second one is the reconnecting of a community that was historically harmed. These are the reasons I got elected six plus years <laughs> ago. And it's so frustrating because DOT, as my predecessor, Mr. Flynn, used to call them as the most mature bureaucracy in the state, and they tend to have their own gravity. They're like a government. Oh, DOT is big, yeah. They, they, they get big projects and big, I mean, they have, you know, these federal, a lot of these projects are 90% federal, so that, you know. I will say, though, that there's been a change in leadership. Wolfgang on the way out the door did a really good job, Wolfgang Young, of helping reestablish relationships with Well, the you know, I never knew much about him, but a couple, you would get our Alaska political report, and uh, this you know, session at some point, I heard I heard about this um, special K designation, which I thought was like ketamine. That's a street name for ketamine, special K. Anyway, so there's a K, it's like a term they coined a long time ago, and they can only pay people so much money in, in the state, you know, based on like the, the, the statute and all that, but there's an exemption they put in place about, I don't know, 15 years ago that says if you're like really smart or really skilled or in the market, blah, 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 there can be an exception. It's called special K. Anyways, I never heard of this guy. He's one of them. Nice. He's one of like the top paid state employees. He yeah. was if he's gone, well, but he's retired. He's one of the top. He was making like over two hundred grand a year. Well, I can tell you, he spent the last year of his career working to rebuild bridges that have been historically devastated, and I mean metaphorical bridges, maybe some actual bridges too in the region. But um, and he did a good job, and I I can say that DOT has put forward a new face in working with the neighborhood, and that promises a lot of good things, unless they start working towards the bridge. I like the bridge, buddy. <laughs> what about there's also the West Susitna, the, that's Ada, but you know. Is that a bridge or the a road? Road, road. But that's another yeah. big, big project. And a that dam would, and Susitna, Montana, and all that. I love the, I love roads, baby. I'm, I'm all, I mean, we, like right now, I've been for a while, me and a buddy have been looking at buying some land, just a small, you know, acre, or whatever, on, you know, on a lake, not big lake, but on one of those lakes. And Chris, you can't, I mean, the stuff you find that, that has access is just insane. And the stuff you know with with no access is even in getting crazy because so I was out there this weekend for the first time, second time ever on Big Lake. How great is it out there, man? It was so nice. Like my friend, a girlfriend of mine has a boat, and she took me and like four other people out, and we just cruised all day long. I mean, it's just like there, there used to be um, up until you know maybe ten or twenty years ago, you know, kind of this Alaska dream. You come here, you work, you make some money, you buy some land, you know, you build a cabin eventually, and a lot of people used to do that. I mean, that was a thing that you could do. Now. If you're not either really wealthy or have, you know, family kind of legacy land that they bought 20 or 30 years ago, you know, it's just really hard. And I think to fix one way to fix that is to build more roads to other other because there's lots of lakes out there. There's well, so the many lakes. Who builds the road? The state. That's the problem. Like limited resources. You build roads where people are, not where you want people to be. I think you do both. But you don't have the money for that. We are in a limited. I mean, you build the road and the people are going to start. That, that, that's the role of government, the infrastructure. And then there's a road all of a sudden. Now it's now it's affordable. Now it's affordable to develop, to buy land, to have access to tax, tax base. You know, the tax base I, goes I, I up. I would say that the role of government is to to provide uh, the infrastructure where it can, where people are trying to go. That's the partnership between uh, the developer community and the government is th 
There has to be a relationship. There has to be a market. It has to be established. We don't get into the business of speculation with state money at this time. I don't think it's, I mean, I think we have no money. I don't think it's speculating when there's so, so much out land out there and there's so, so much demand for housing and, and people want, people want people. I know so many people that want to buy some land for a cat and they just can't afford it. So not that we have this situation here, but I'm going on a trip to California in, in August. And one of the places I'd like to go is a place called California Valley. And it is an amazing place right on this, the, the, um, the San Andreas fault in between these two mountain ranges. And there's this subdivided community out there. And this place is dirt and dry and some wildflowers and it's all platted and there's nobody there. It's like a ghost town that never happened. And so probably because it's hot as shit because people put it in thinking that the people would come and they didn't. And so I just think that there has to be some rational nexus of funding with state money toward a project, a specific project. It can't just be, we're going to build roads because people might build cabins. How about the bridge? <laughs> the same, <laughs> no bridge. Let's, so let's talk about this homelessness thing, which yeah. we've talked, we've done videos. We did our first one four years ago and it's this, an absolute disaster. You know, and it's, and it's, it's every time we do one, we talk about like, how do we solve this? And we, we I want to do another one this year. And I basically want to do, well, I don't know how we're going to solve it. We're not going to solve it. Cause it's like, just getting worse, but it's, it, it seems like it's gotten so, and I, where I live on, you know, Midtown, I, it's the Campbell Lake, Campbell Creek Trail, and there's, and there's a collection of like, I don't know, 10, or, right on the side of the, the trail, 10 or 15 tents, and then you go, the Third Avenue thing is, I had Rob Couples on here last week, and absolutely disaster. that situation, which was, you know, better with, he said, talked about that with COVID, and then, for years, now it's gone back, now it's worse, and then you got this Midtown, you know, there's a Cuddy Park with a music festival, and then there was, now I'm hearing people tell me there's, they're seeing people um, further and further south, Huffman, cars on Huffman, people kind of, you know, panhandling and, and camping, which which we haven't really seen a little bit in the past, but that's expanding. So well, I was I was in Big Lake this weekend, as I said, and when we were driving through Wasilla, I actually saw two people who appeared to be homeless camp panhandling on the side of the highway. Yeah, that's you really don't see. You've never really seen too much of that in the valley. I just literally saw two. It was very remarkable to me. So I don't have a ton of time today. I wish I had more, but uh, you caught me just kind of in between. But I will say that all is not lost. It's worse now than it's been, but we have made major investments with hundreds of housing units coming online in the next couple of months to uh, early next year. And we need to continue making investments where we pick up 80 to 100 housing units for a couple of million dollars. And it's the only way to make it work, which is housing conversions and taking properties that are no longer A-grade commercial, C-grade commercial, and figuring out ways to convert those properties into affordable housing units. Because at you know 500000 or 370000 for a median income home or four hundred thirty, whatever it is now, and 500000 being kind of the going cost for building an apartment unit, we're never going to solve this problem if we don't continue to uh, figure out ways to adaptively, uh, adaptively reuse properties that are no longer usable for the function that they require. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm all for the housing, and I think that's definitely an element, but I think there's another part of it that doesn't get talked about as much. You can't give somebody a house who's, you know, an alcoholic or a drug addict who doesn't want to help, who doesn't want to get better, who doesn't want to change. So and, and there's some, there's some behavioral issues. Here's that, what you do: you have <clears throat> housing programs that are set up for people with different skill sets, and so it's not one size fits all. Everybody gets the same. What it is is you have places that are for the people who are more destructive, made out of more durable materials. You have places that have mental health services 
on site for people, not just on call for people when they have those kind of needs and you you have identified them and they fit. And so you have to have a, a number of places where people can go and sort into places that actually work for them. You will have a small number of people who in the end truly want to live out. It's like two to five percent. We're not talking ninety-five or fifty percent of these people. You know, I know it's not a big number, but I'm just saying there are people that, you know, whether they don't want to be part of society or whether they just want to do whatever they want to do, and they aren't going to be told I can't do drugs or I can't drink. And I mean, at some point, there has to be, I think, a role for look. You know, we're going to help you, but you have to. And if and if not, there has to be a con. I think a consequence. Right, and the way you get there is under Martin v. Boise is you have enough places for people to go, which is shelter and housing. And once you have enough, then you can start with assertive policing and assertive management. And it's just not advisable if you don't have a place to send someone, because if you get into a position where you're like, well, you can't stay here, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh And then they get to the next place. You don't have to go home. I don't have a home, but you can't stay here. And then people just start getting marched around. This is not a legal solution. Well, I know you got a meeting to go to, so we'll um, let you go. But we'll have to get you back because I want to talk about, obviously, there's a mayoral race here in less than a year. And there, there's already Mayor Bronson, there's Suzanne LaFrance, there's Chris Tuck, and there's talk of many others. And I think it's going to be a pretty jammed up, you know, mayor, okay. mayoral race with an incumbent. Typically, whether it's Berkowitz or Sullivan or Begich, when there's an incumbent mayor for re-election, it's... it's their side, well, Warch is, you know, that's one of the kind of similar situation, but the incumbent, typically their side kind of leaves them alone. And then there's like a big push for the other side to, to get somebody in there. But I think this is going to be a big, more like almost like a, an open race. instead of. mm -hmm. Well, I love to come back and have that conversation. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. This one was cut so short. You and I could talk probably for hours about all the things going on. And um, I'm going to get you on that bridge though. Okay. I'm I'm going to sell you on that. Well, how about a bridge to hope? That's great too. That's, that's I'm more, great. Yeah, more my speed. All, there, there was a proposal for that. Like that, that exists too. So I know. I'm infrastructure guy, man. I'm sold I, I, on. I'm strong supportive infrastructure, and I, I am a little bit sad. I think Anchorage has missed out on the first two years. Juno Road's another one they had pl- paid for infrastructure we'll, bill. You know, that was all good to go, and that got killed. So we'll we'll talk more next time, and we'll talk about the mayoral race, and um, we'll uh, we'll see you at the uh, Mr. Chair Assembly Chair, huh? Yep, come on down. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Constant from the Anchorage Assembly, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Land,